Morning, morning. Yes, we're back with another episode, another rider. Today we have Stuart in the house. He's a lecturer. He's a recruitment officer. He's done, he's in politics, so it's going to be an interesting <laughs> one. It's going to be one of those podcasts that I have to chop up into two or three sections. But anyway, <laughs> nice to have you here today, Stuart. Very nice to be here. So tell us, Stuart, what kind of person were you when you were at school? I talk too much. I think I like, probably like the sound of my own voice too much. And I like to, I, was, I, I sort of did well, did well at school, enjoyed it. But yeah, probably uh, that was definitely always the criticism. I talk too much. You talk too much. And you've, overco you've overcome that since then? No, not really. Okay. I, I, I still like to talk. So when you left school, did you go straight to college, straight to university? I did. And what uh, did you study? I studied history. History? Okay. Yeah. And I did three, and I ended up doing eight years of it. So quite, I, I must have quite enjoyed it. So, what is it about history that you love? Oh, I just find it fascinating about how different it is, how different things are to now. You know, how absurd and what people believed in or what people thought back in those days. And you have to sort of understand why they thought the way they did, why they did things the way they did compared to sort of how we think in the modern world. For example, well, I was giving, I'll give you an example about medicine being a good one, about how you know, I had no understanding about how medicine worked, what, why, why it was good to have like clean hands and why you'd, get an, why you'd get an infection. Everything was thought to be God's will, why bad things happened. So, you know, and they really have sort of understanding we do today about cause and effect. Okay, okay. What's your favourite period of history? Well, I'd say I study the 18th century, so the 1700s and i love it because it's full of absolutely crazy mad characters and <laughs> sort of basically insane rulers and all sorts of odd things that happened it's it's a it's a great period and not enough people know uh, people don't know enough about it so who, who's the insane rulers well i mean there's a good one i've just been looking at which was frederick william the first of prussia he used to go around kidnapping people who were two who were over six, tall, yeah, six feet yeah, tall for his army yeah and he used to get money for how tall the person was and the taller they were the more uh, more money you would get and they for instance they once broke into a church and took off a very tall and so abducted a very very tall preacher and several members of the congregation to just tend into his army is one example yeah, he had his army of really tall people but they didn't do very well in the battlefield they weren't they weren't they weren't there for the battlefield they uh, he didn't want to risk them in the battlefield they used to he used to get them to march through his room to cheer him up and things like that really? that's, that's the sort of thing he did yeah that sounds like a fetish it was a bit of a fetish he, he used to paint paint them all and he had one of them turned into a marble statue once once he died it was a uh, quite odd he even said i think Oh, tall men are my weakness. I, I, I like them more than more than women. <laughs> sort of. Okay. Very, it was very odd. We all have our issues <laughs> in that respect. Mm -hmm. So, Prussia, do you look back at history and think we could be doing better? Oh, of course. Yeah, I mean. Oh, you mean in terms of what they had things they had things yeah, better about? Even to where we are now. So you look at history. You look at how things have come what we've been good at and what we've been bad at and you still think we could be doing better yeah I think we could be we should have learned a few few of the mistakes from the past like Afghanistan for Afghanistan instance. yes we got kicked out twice yeah we don't nope. want to get kicked out a third time yeah you should always learn from your mistakes you can't conquer Afghanistan that's a very good example <laughs> and and probably main thing is we probably should learn that war doesn't tend to work very well Putin should probably learn that. So yeah, it's in general. 
But then in saying that, and obviously you're a man in politics as well, what field of politics are you in? Oh, well, so I, I am part of the Liberal Democrats and I sort of work, uh, I, I, I sort of volunteer for them and I, uh, I've stood for it as a candidate a couple of times and, and things like that and okay. um, hoping to maybe uh, stand for as a parliamentary candidate. So, yeah. what, what I've noticed when it comes to going off with the Liberal thing, I used to vote Liberal when I was a student and yeah. then I got disappointed when they got in and they gave it to power to Tories. Yeah, so I, I, I hear that well, a lot. I, I'm never <laughs> voting for them again, but then I'm disappointed with Labour. <laughs> oh, there's no one left. <laughs> Unless I create my own party in that respect. Yeah. Well, you could do, but it's, it's, it's a lot long of work. Haul, long, long haul, man, <laughs> a lot of work. I th yeah, I think, I don't know how politics works, but I think if you could be in a party and just focus on your own area, that would be the most effective. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not like massively, massively slavish to like a part, you know, party line. I like, um, you know, everyone has their own individual individual views. And as long as you can kind of justify them, you know, I think mature people sort of understand understand it. Okay, I hear you. So you've gone into history, combined into politics. <laughs> That's a thing on the side, but yeah. Okay, okay, so history is the main thing. Yeah. When you teach history to students, how do you motivate a student to be interested in history? Well, I think the best thing is to match up the sort of funny, quirky, absurd stuff with the actual point you're trying to make. That's what we are saying about the you know, crazy Prussian kings and stuff. And try and show them like that mixture of the familiar and the, and the absurd. Mm -hmm. That's what I like to do anyway. So sort of they can sort of relate to it, but they can also like think, oh my God, how is this even possible that this happened back in the day? So, yeah, so I try and do to keep people interested and, and most people are quite motivated if they if they're normally they're signing up to a history course they're normally at least in, a bit interested in history mm. well that's the hope anyway talking about history there's a bit on LBC this morning and uh, Nick Ferrari asked the journalist was it a journalist I think it's some representative of the royals why is Prince Charles not paying inheritance tax he quoted history a date which turned out to be wrong to why they shouldn't be paying inheritance tax <laughs> do you think things like that in history still a bane on our lives what sort of old like yeah, that old regulations oh, that somebody's supreme being above next to god and they should be exempted for everything they the average human being is well i probably shouldn't comment too much on the, on the monarchy but then uh, you know there it's you know there are other things as well the crown estates which are like all the the money that comes in from the land the crown earns is given to the government and the money that the monarchy gets back is less than that so you know actually in some ways you can argue the monarchy makes money <laughs> so that sort of stuff which is an old like quirky thing from hundreds of years ago actually so the estates are owned by the government yeah the the revenues that come in from the the crown estates the land and yeah. the, the owned by the owned by the monarchy yeah. goes straight to the government and then the monarchy gets back a percentage the, yeah it gets right. back sort of a, the quarter the, or thing is the crown brand now civil list but they're still getting something for free well but then you could argue if they if they decided to be independent and they had the right to take all those crown lands back then they would be they would be depriving more money from the state because oh, that's be, interesting but then, 
you're going to get taxed to oblivion. Well, <laughs> so if they took it back, then you're going to, in the long run, it's going to be uh, to their own detriment, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it, this is the thing. I think, yeah, they would actually have to pay tax as a, uh, you know, those sorts of uh, exemptions would be gone. Yeah, that's true. I worked it out. I'm not the best at maths, but he's got 20 million childs. 20 billion, sorry. And so 40% would be 8 billion. 8 billion he hasn't paid to the public. Well, I won't, I won't comment on, <laughs> on Charles. Oh, uh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. On the king's tax Okay, okay. <laughs> you see that? Politicians scared to speak their mind. Okay, well, we'll move well, on. Well, I mean, I wasn't prepared for an interview. So yeah, I, I know, fair enough. Was it? Oh, but that's the beauty of this, because it's real. Real writers, real stories is that. That's true, that's true. Yeah, so we get the real Stuart, we get the real politicians. But mind you, I did interview a politician before and he was just like, he was just promoting himself. I can't remember, he's the Tory for Kingston Oh, like well that's, Kingston that, that's Tory Tory. <laughs> so you're writing a book? I am, or I've, yeah, I've just, I wrote it recently. And what's that about? So basically it's about I think I kind of wrote it in response to what's been happening with Britain in Europe. It's basically looking at uh, the British press in the 18th century and the stereotypes of other countries. Mm -hmm. So, you know, did we think that all the Spaniards were lazy back then for having siestas and the Germans had no sense of humour and the Russians were all drunk and I wanted to see how far back those sort of like stereotypes went and things. Oh, and that's interesting. So it? yeah, and it was then looking at that and the, the regimes, the rulers, all that sort of stuff and what people were saying about them back then. So And how far did that all go back? Well, it goes back longer than that, but it was in the 18th century that we had the first had a free press. So the licensing act, the censorship lapsed and then people were able to print whatever they want and it was kind of the wild west everyone just printed all manner of stuff without much uh, say so about how it happened so but but then there I would argue that there are some truths in stereotypes of people and culture I mean there's a reason why they're there uh, yeah thank you that's what that's what I would be saying because the Spanish do have siestas and they do go to bed very late and yeah. if you wake up in the morning and then you go back to sleep at 10 they don't wake up until two. It can be perceived as a bit lazy. <laughs> if you see what I mean. Well, as I say, what what was said back then, what they said now, uh, like there's continuity. And Germans are serious. Huh? And Germans are serious people. They are quite serious people. Or if they do have a sense of humour, I don't understand it. <laughs> okay. But you found so what did you learn about writing books that you wish you knew when you started? Very, very, very good question. Pacing, timing, managing your time, I suppose that's a very important part of it. Making sure that everything kind of fits together so that it uh, makes sense. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, I suppose that's the hope. Uh, and the fact, way to keep it interesting and fast paced and not like bore people. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> and how do, you, how do you do all of that? How did you do pace and organize and timing? Well, basically, I sort of wrote a bit like a documentary, so I just kept really the important things in, had a sort of twisty beginning quite often, so you'd like set something up and then hopefully that would like then pay off later. So, and I do like a country per chapter, so which sort of, hopefully it just keeps you interested and engaged throughout. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Did you have to go around collecting your evidence? Did you go around filming a lot of people? Or? Oh well, it's not. It's all. It's all a book. So I didn't do any filming or interviews. You didn't do any interviews. Well, no, because everyone was dead. Who, um, talk, who, who I'd be? Who I'd need to talk to? Okay. But I did use the um, archives a lot. So. And obviously. there's no people who wrote similar books to you, who you could have researched. Oh yeah, well, I read the secondary stuff. Yeah. The, yeah. But you wanted the hardcore. You want ideally you wanted to. Yeah, you want to go first, to the first-hand accounts. First-hand accounts, yeah. Oh, okay, that's good. What's the book called? Or have you got the? Well, it's got title? a working title. Who knows if it's going to stay that way? What's the, the working title? The working title is uh, "Getting to Know the Neighbours." Um, oh, that sounds quite friendly. <laughs> it's quite. That, that sounds like uh, something Rowan Atkinson could do a, a live. <laughs> you know, walking through the streets of Europe, talking to people. <laughs> yeah, are you truly lazy? It, it is a bit like that, yeah. yeah you can can spin into a doc. You can sell it, sell it as a, sell the. Well, maybe that's the next. Spin, spin into a documentary. Maybe that's the next stage. Series, yeah. <laughs> or you know what you do? What's that guy? The comedian guy. He's quite simple. <laughs> uh, oh, is that the one, Ricky Jay? Yeah, Ricky Jay. Uh, Carl, Carl Pilkins. Yes, Carl Pitt. I like yeah, him. Carl Idi Pilkins. Idiot abroad, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. So you could do him going round. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> asking people if they're lazy or not that yeah, would be good. <laughs> asking people about their culture we think English think you're this what would you say to that <laughs> and he can get away with it that's the thing it's yeah yeah those kind of things that, that you could get on the money earner there. did you remember <laughs> I told you this remember I came up with this idea yeah yeah no absolutely I'll give you credit <laughs> okay so how long has this book taken you to write and what motivated you to write well partly it was pandemic so there was some time on my hands so i was able to put some put some effort into it and yeah i suppose a lot of it was to do with like what's been happening in politics over the last few years particularly like brexit and stuff like that and like our relationship with europe and i kind of just wanted to go back and see how some of those like uh, some of that hostility or some of that sort of like Euroscepticism, how long ago that last, uh, you know, how far back they went, and that sort of thing. That was kind of the kind of the motivation behind it, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Now, you say you're lecturer in Harvard. Oh, no, not Harvard. Uh, I was yeah, at, uh, I, I do some, some work for the continuing uh, education department at Oxford. How, how is it being a lecturer there? Is it, is it when you speak to other friends who teach and things like that, is it different? Kind of clientele because obviously you barring cambridge you're meant to be the best of the best <laughs> well I, I would say definitely the best of the best okay uh, no no uh, yeah it, it's no it's 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 good i mean i tend to teach older people because it's like i basically um part of oxford's kind of like their open university so a lot of people coming back to education later on or retired people 30s just, and 40s, so. yeah or even retired people who just want to like try a bit of education on the on the side mm -hmm. while they're while they're retired so i tend to get very motivated interesting people who've often had like quite experienced lives, lives. Mm -hmm. i have known that some people have had some rather awkward situations i think that there was an instance where someone was teaching something about the gulf war this is a colleague and they actually ended up having a person a general in the gulf war actually was one of their students or something so that was a bit awkward as he was like talking about the thing that the talking about the battles and stuff that this guy actually fought <laughs> so, and so what did the guy say excuse me no, no yeah it's like, oh, correct you said it was the it was definitely very awkward <laughs> i think so it's one of those lectures he's given it but he's just looking at this guy's eyes yeah, to see, like, oh, okay, right here. <laughs> i'm talking about something that this person actually lived yeah yeah okay that's that's interesting would you 
what would you say to what would be your words of wisdom and advice to somebody who wants to be a lecturer and somebody who wants to write their own books have a lot of passion a lot of commitment uh, and yeah, yeah probably don't do it for the money <laughs> that goes for lecturing as well uh, that does go for lecturing as well I always thought lecturers uh, le lecturers and teachers surely they get paid different like teachers like the oh well yeah school. this but to become like a full-time like tenured lecturer is is quite a difficult thing to break into oh is it yeah there's a you know it's a lot of um, part-time work short-term contracts yeah it's not the uh is that because it's oxford or no that that's just in general that's just the the, the the industry so people that it's like a secure job for people so they don't want to leave yeah yeah uh, I, I, once you get there once you actually do to get there yeah you it is very secure but it takes quite a while and a lot of uh, sort of stuff to get there and to... I suppose when you think of it Stuart that it's not like teaching in school when you've got loads and loads of work to mark you've got let you got when she yeah, and like your kind of moddy kind of you you're dealing with adults so they give you their assignments if they don't get it in you just f or whatever <laughs> and if they get it and you read it and you could you put it on the computer to see if it's checked you know if they've copied and pasted mm. and then it's just like d or whatever and then you're gone <laughs> so because yeah, it's a, yeah. You've got a lot of time off what i'm thinking you've got a lot of time off and you're marking work that's probably easier to mark than being at school oh, that might be true i mean uh, i don't want to i won't, don't want to say i might have people who'll uh, <laughs> complain <laughs> that i'm misrepresenting the because um, well, there, there is a lot of marking there's a uh, you know and there are much longer assignments because people are writing 2500 word essays or writing 10,000 word dissertations and these are much longer than what you get at school you why know. why is the need to delegate or stipulate how many words somebody should write an assignment for i've never understood that <laughs> well i suppose it's because if you gave people like the license to do anything that they would either write far too much or they would write not enough <laughs> and then it would be then you'd either and, and so you need some sort of guidelines so people can actually know what they're doing because i always thought that artists writing a lot very little but saying a lot yeah, I mean, the best, I found the best assignments normally are on the shorter side because, yeah, people have said what they want in a much more concise way, whereas people can get, <laughs> it, it can be a lot of, yeah, just just a lot, too, lots of words but not saying much with, with long, long sort of assignments. Are there any tricks or methods that you use when it comes to marking, marking work? Like, what are the guidelines? How, how do you... Uh, no, not really. I mean, I suppose it's it's more difficult with a when you're doing like an art subject like I do, like history or English or something like that, because there's no real right answer in the sense that there's not like maths where there's like clearly two and two is four. Two two is four. You know, so you're having to make a lot of judgment calls about how good or bad something is, and you're sort of having to do it against some criteria. And yeah, you could disagree with the second marker, and we always double mark our stuff so you know someone else will, might have something different and you kind of like reconcile the marks together um, try and get come come to a, a, a mark that both of you agree on so mm. yeah there's there's always variation okay that's that's good if you could do it all again would you do it all the same way and if not why not and if so why <laughs> yeah I, I think i would i definitely you know really feel proud that of what I was able to, what I've been able to do, write, uh, achieve, you know, so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's certainly been a nice, nice feeling to, to do that. 
but yeah, no, I yeah, I think I'd do it again. Okay. And the political situation today, <laughs> where we've got we've come out of Brexit, we've sorry, we've come out of Europe. Do you think? Do you see us in the future sneaking our way back into Europe through the back door <laughs> and? Not on paper, not on paper, but having all the same rights that we used to have. Yeah, I think I think one hundred percent. I think that it's just that we will have to eventually join the sing, rejoin the single market, which you can do outside of the European Union because it's you know just the sheer economics of it mean that we we will have to do something like that. I think, and it may take ten years, but you know you can't just put barriers up to trade and just keep them there with your largest largest market. So, I th- oh, yeah, I think so. I think that's probably what will happen eventually. That was my thoughts exactly. Yeah. Especially London's a... a, a I speak of London like it's a country. <laughs> it's a remain city. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, you know what? Being a Londoner born and bred, I care about London. I'm not really interested in the rest of the country. <laughs> <laughs> so you are a proper Londoner. Yeah, then. because we make 70% of the economy. So, that's you know, true. it's like, really? It doesn't really matter what the others say. <laughs> Yeah, I'll probably get shut down by a load of northerners for this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm definitely not going to comment on this. There are lots of lovely places around the country. Yeah, there may be, but there are roads and infrastructures built by our finance in that respect. But on another note, if you could fix anything in politics today, how would you fix it? How would I fix it? Yes. That's a really difficult question. You've got the. It shouldn't be your politician. Yeah, yeah, but it's like obviously people say, "Well, how?" What what calls would you take on? Ah, well, there there are are a few I'm very interested in. Um, So obviously, repairing our relationship with Europe is is a big one. Would one that would be one I would definitely put quite high up on the list. Fixing the voting system so we actually have a a proportional system where your number of votes actually counts. A number of votes reflects the number of seats. How does that work now? Then she said, I'm, "I'm totally ignorant to what you just said there." So oh, so basically, at the moment, with all these like safe seats, and you know, you can get the Conservatives can win over fifty percent of the seats on forty percent of people voting for them. I would just like a system whereby forty percent of people voted for you, you've got forty percent of the seats in Parliament. Ah, so this, what happened to Liberals before doesn't happen again? Is that right? Yeah, because I they I'm well, that, uh, but that's not the main. That's not the only. No, because I'm just trying to understand. I'm not trying to put you in a corner. <laughs> I'm trying to understand. Yeah, but it just it's just I don't like the idea that we don't have enough choice. You know, it's just either Conservative or Labour, and it's duopoly between the two of them, and one follows the other. I don't think that's a great system. Labour, yeah. Labour's become more Tory. They didn't even they didn't even back the voters, uh, the strikers. Imagine you've got a name like Labour, you don't back the strikers. It doesn't make sense to me. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I'm I kind of worry that Labour will get a really big majority at the next election, and then they will just like not change anything. They don't seem to be doing anything particularly yeah, yeah. exciting, in my opinion. Um, what they're offering, so mm. I don't. I, I, I what I want is a hung parliament with Liberals as the balance. That would be the best situation, I think. Okay. And I interrupted you during. The, what was the other thing that you? Said? Oh yeah, yeah. So, so changing the voting system, proper uh, repairing relationship with Europe. Quite interested in criminal justice reform as well. Uh, I find that very interesting, and I think that we need to make sure that we actually have like a sort of sensible way of dealing with a lot of things. For instance, like drugs, um, and move towards a more rehabilitation. Uh, move towards more more rehabilitation than. Uh, 
just mm. punishment. It should be what works rather than just uh, punishing. I would I like fewer victims, and I think that's the best way of having fewer victims in the long run. Okay. I've got some things I want to tell you. So you're a politician. I'll just take you here and tell you this. Ex-military, I'm a believer in national service. Okay. I spoke to somebody, I can't remember what country they're from, but they said the women do national service in... Uh, uh, is that Israel? I don't know. Because they, they definitely do it there. Yeah, but they said the women do national service in their NHS. Oh, the yeah. The men do national service in the military. Now, obviously, for PC reasons, you couldn't just shovel the women in one thing and not give them the opportunity to get shot. But <laughs> that, I think there's a, there's a correlation between the knife crime age and the infantryman's age, and it's exactly the same. You've got 15 and three quarters, you can join the military, and you're usually in the infantry, depending on the regiment yeah, yeah. you're in, up until the age of 25, and then they kind of leave. And it's that same age that we have problems with knife crime. So if you drop them in the military, they can get education free, they all become super fit, they learn to work in the scene, different kind of people that thing and the NHS is a good option for those who are weak and scared to go to the military because you could be a postman in the military you go work at NHS and then all those little jobs where nurses are pushing a patient from one place to another you do the yeah I mean bit. there's, there's, there's you already, think that's a good idea there's already a national citizen service but the thing is it's voluntary but I think your thing is you want to obviously nah, push you Yeah, you've got push to people. say, this is what you're doing. Everybody needs to get on board. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I, I just always, I don't like the idea of forcing someone to do something. I don't think, I don't think that's very liberal. And um, also, national service, we only ever had national service briefly in the sort of 40s and 50s. Okay. We have a history in, the, in this country of not having national service. We're always very proud of the fact that we didn't. Mm -hmm. That's why in the First World War, we, we had, we, were, we basically waited quite a long time before we actually had conscription because it was against British liberty to force people into national service. Mm -hmm. So I suppose on like those instincts, I'm sort of mm. would not be happy about forcing someone. But then we could do it in the sense of it's a national service because we all get forced into things whether we like it or not. We all get you're forced into making payments with methods that you'd rather use in cash. You get paid a, a monthly things yeah you know, there's lots of things you get forced in in life but what you could do and uh, and I do like what you're saying is saying okay if we're going to war with another country then those people who are in national service don't have a choice not to go because you're just doing national service for the nation not to certainly I, mean? I mean in times of war it's different I suppose you know that's uh, it's a national emergency therefore you know you need to mm. get people to most people accept would accept conscription if it was like if you're actually you'll be surprised on. you'll be surprised believe me i've seen some people right away <laughs> at last minute they've turned around and said, oh, i don't want to be here i can't do this oh well, yeah it. i've seen it mate yeah but they, they weren't conscripted were they? they they that's even worse they volunteered yeah that's they? the whole point because you got to the whole training thing with me with us and then you just bottled but I suppose training is just different to like real frontline service, isn't it? So people get get a rude get a rude awakening, get a shock when they're actually uh -huh. going off from the training to actually seeing it in real life. Okay. The other thing what comes to mind is health and reducing NHS costs. Yeah. And I'm a big believer in everybody must exercise as youth every day. 
proper exercise. So every school, you laugh. No, no, no. no it's just because no. uh, you said about me panting with like, <laughs> <laughs> earlier when I was running. Oh, yeah. to the, <laughs> running to so the... what I would say is you have every school must have like an athletics ground, including a swimming pool. And every day, all the school children do some fitness. And the poor school school children, you also offer breakfasts for them in the morning because then you can get away with uh, what's that child benefit? You don't need to worry about child benefit because yeah. they're getting fed for lunch and they're getting fed for breakfast and the school and and they get free school uniform for the poor kids so i come from children's home so that's why i say cater for them because then it eases problem nhs social workers and nspcc mm. do you see what i mean yeah yeah and by the 16 years time the first set of kids that come out of schools all schools who very fit very healthy barring will be winning the olympics also it reduces the cost of NHS because when I speak to these doctors and nurses and people in a and &E, I say how many times do you see somebody who's come through A&E and it's not an accident like a road traffic accident or something or they've just got a general health problem and they, and they have a six pack and pecs and they go never I said exactly <laughs> because people aren't looking after themselves so the people who are causing the problems are people not looking after themselves what do you think of that? Well, I suppose it's, uh, I, I do agree that you can do a couple of things. I believe in like the proactive policy of actually, as you say, trying to encourage people to have exercise, trying to actually, you know, improve their bodies. But I'm not a fan of like uh, taxing people who are overweight or sugar tax and things. Again, it's kind of... But you wouldn't need to tax people overweight if everyone's exercising. No, I agreed. That's what I think. So I, I, believe, I believe in carrot rather than the stick in that, in that sense. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for that. Remind us what's... Where, if people want to find you, where can they find you? So, my Twitter is probably the best. So, that's Dr. Stuart Tolley, S-T-E-W-A-R-T, T-O-L-L-E-Y. -L -L -E you might be able to find it there on, on Twitter, so follow me there. A lot of stuff from politics and history. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if you like this, you probably like that. All right. Well, thanks a lot for that, and we wish you well. Thank you very much. We hope that episode enhanced your life. We post an interview every day as well as vlogging on our social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe to get our latest episode.